Let's pray. Father, uh, we do, uh, uh, Lord, we want you to impact our lives tonight. I think about, I think about a guy sitting in a dungeon someplace trying to write this letter and get things out and, and yet, Lord, not allowing circumstances to influence his view of who you are and who he is in you. And especially writing to a group of people who are so drawn to the world because of their surroundings, their circumstance, their city, Lord, and, and just grasping what he is encouraging them with in the, the truth of who they are in you and what you've done for them. And God, I pray for us here in this fellowship. Once again, it wouldn't just be words we're reading. It wouldn't just be us doing church on Thursday night and coming together and, and even for some of us thinking we're fulfilling some sense of obligation. But God, it would be a time where we are changed and impacted. Thank you, Jesus, for dying for our sins. Thank you, Holy Spirit. You come and you guide us and direct us and, and feed us. So we just pray that you would have your way tonight. And God, that you would be glorified in this time. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. As we opened up last time, as I said in my prayer, Paul is in prison as he's writing this. And, you know, I'm always inf infatuated. The fact he wrote, he wrote, uh, uh, Ephesians, uh, Philippians, and Colossians, and Philemon, while he's in prison. And the thing that fascinates me is he never mentions the fact that, hey, I'm in jail, and he doesn't whine about it. I think he might mention it to the Philippians a little bit about, about witnessing, but he's not whining about it. He's not, he's not like going on about his circumstances to them. He's telling them, here's who you are in Christ. Believe it. And I, I love that idea. So Ephesians deals more with who we are as the body of Christ and, and what that means. And Philippians kind of talks about, about walking uh, and putting this whole thing into daily practice. We're going to study all three of these plus Philemon. And Colossians talks about Christ being the head. Listen, I think if you get a grisp, a grisp or a grasp of these three letters and let it grip your heart, Man, it's going to change your life. It's going to change how you look at things, change how you walk, change how you talk and the things that, that, that you see. So listen, he's writing these guys. This is a city that is like the happening city of Turkey, of Asia Minor, Turkey today. It was the place to be if you wanted to be someplace and if you wanted to be in that going on now. And the church is kind of being drawn in that direction, kind of being sucked in. And they're trying to, listen, Paul's trying to say, listen to who you are in Christ. Pay attention to that. And last time we looked at the whole idea that we were, pre, or we were chosen by God to be holy and blameless. Listen, it's not enough just to say I'm chosen. What are you chosen for because I think that's important in Ephesians as we go through. He always gives us, listen, here's a truth, you're chosen. 
But here's the truth of the truth. You were chosen to be holy and blameless. That should cause you to live a little bit different. Should be excited about that. Then he says, listen, you're predestined, but you're predestined to be in the beloved, to be in him and walk in him and that we would know that. So Paul has covered that and we'll talk a little bit more about predestination just because I love to push buttons and people get freaked out about it. You know, you see that word in the Bible. Some people see that word in the Bible and here's what they do. (gasps) It's okay, take a breath, exhale, it's all right, right? So listen, man, that's some truth we're given. Now, Paul, again, for homework, if you, if you, if you didn't check it out or you don't know the background, you gotta read Acts, I put 28 by mistake, Acts 18 and 19, <laughs> okay? So look at Acts 18 and 19, don't look up there, listen to me, 18 and 19, and, and check out when he planted the church and then he kind of left, he came back, he stayed there three years, so he's busy and he was personal with these people. And now as I've said, he's in jail. There's an argument, is he in jail and is he just under house arrest or is he in a dungeon? Here's what I think, I mean, I mean people go like, well if he's under house arrest, wow, that makes a big difference. Like, why would you act like that's okay, you're still under arrest and, and uh, you know, you're having to deal with things. And again, remember, falsely accused, falsely put in jail. All of those things are, are, are false that have happened to him, but he doesn't bring that up. He says, hey, church at, at, at Ephesus, remember that you have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies. That's a truth. That's a reality that you need to walk in and you need to hold dear to your heart. And, and again, he talked last time about, again, who we are, what that means. Now, I, I think I said last time, from verse three to verse 14, in the original language, is one long sentence. You talk about a run-on sentence, you know? He must have drove grammarians crazy, right? Like, Paul, you can't do that. And, and according to the experts, he had like, all of these different prepositional phrases in there. He had stuff going on that drove him nuts. And in most of our English Bibles, they break it up into several sentences because here's the thing, they can't stand one long run-on sentence. It like freaks them out, so they do that. But in verse seven, we pick it up. Again, ours starts a new sentence and it says this. In him, we have redemption through his blood the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace, which he made to abound toward us in all wisdom and prudence. And part of me wants to just read the whole thing and keep going like Paul would have. I, I get this, I get this vision in my head of Paul just like, just like, and, and again, he was dictating this more than likely, and how he's just maybe pacing a little bit, but how he's, he's seeing all of these glorious truths, and, and it's just like flowing out of him, and, and you can kind of see the the guy writing like take a breath dude you know he's trying to get it all down and and Paul is so excited about what all of this means do you understand we've been redeemed do you really believe that listen here's the important thing we need to understand if we've been redeemed that means we were purchased that means hey 
in their culture, in their generation, someone who was redeemed was someone who was a slave. Remillion, remillion. Remember that during that during that time, I wash my teeth today, and I can't do a thing with my mouth. But but listen, it, it, it's it's like during that time, there were over twenty million slaves in the Roman Empire. And I know when we think of slavery, we think of a horrible thing and the atrocities in the United States and, you know, a lot of that's coming up right now. And I get that. I understand a horrible time. But for them, slavery wasn't always just a negative thing. I've mentioned it before. Generally speaking, doctors were slaves. That would be fun now, wouldn't it? Wouldn't it be great to, like, own a doctor? (laughs) <laughs> we have a doctor over here going, no way. I think, I think it would be really good. I think it would be good just to, but listen, doctors were, so, so they had all of these slaves and that specific word in the original language was a word that they would use when you would go in as someone and you would maybe someone you loved or a family member and you would get your money, you would purchase them to set them free. And that's what Paul's talking about. Listen, we were slaves to sin. We need to understand that. We need to get a quote to me. We need to get a grip on that reality of our lives. We were slaves to sin. And Jesus came and bought us. He purchased us. He redeemed us out of that. He brought us out of that to set us free And so that we could live life and live life to the fullest. Now, listen, I just read that part, and and I don't know about you guys. I just get excited that, that, you know, God would do that simply because he loves me. Now, here's an interesting thing. Redemption, well, we're going to read in verse... uh, uh, in verse seven, in, uh, later on, and he, he bought us through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. You see, we can forgive somebody because we make a choice to, right? Somebody offends us, somebody does something, we choose to forgive them. God can't do that. Do you understand there had to be a price paid for us to be forgiven? God can't just like say, that didn't happen, I forgive you. We sinned against a holy God. And that had to be taken care of. Jesus took care of that. I love this whole idea. So listen, he, 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 in him we have redemption. Now, if you're a Bible marker, underline through his blood. That is so, to me, so important that we understand that. He purchased us with his blood, and it was through his blood. Here's the point I'm trying to make. It wasn't through his teaching. It wasn't through his sinless life. He didn't even redeem us through his love. He redeemed us through his blood. It took the blood of Jesus Christ to save us. And, and when we talk about through his blood, listen, we're not being mystical about his actual blood. We're, that represents his, his death, right? The whole idea that Jesus Christ went and paid the price that you and I owed. And it, it so bothers me when people, you know, kind of, we, we like Jesus, but we don't like talking about the blood. You got to talk about the blood. The blood is essential to our salvation, No blood, no salvation. 
And that's the truth, and we need to, we need to know that. We need to understand that. So I, I love this idea. And then he says, listen, redemption through his blood. This is just, just verse 7 is so loaded. This whole thing is so loaded. Listen, for the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his glory. Check this out. God redeemed us with his blood according to his riches. Not out of his riches, but according to his riches, you get the difference? Listen, I could give out, like, like if I, like we could use Bill Gates. Bill Gates gives things out of his wealth. He doesn't give things according to his wealth. You see, if I give you something and I, you know, I'm worth $5 million and I give you a $100 check, that's giving out of my wealth, right? But if I give you a $2 million check, that's giving according to my wealth. Think about, think about what we just read. Our forgiveness is according, not out of his, his grace, but it's according to his grace. You know what that means? Wow. That means it's never ending. That means you cannot exhaust it. That means, and just get that in your heart. So we have been, not only have we been redeemed, but we've been redeemed by the most precious thing there is, the blood of Jesus Christ. And not only that, we have forgiveness of sins according to his grace. One of my favorite Bible verses is 1 John 2.2. I'm sorry, it's not 2.2. It's 1 John 1.9. 1 John 2.2 is a different one. Sorry. That's a really good verse too. 1 John 2, 2 talks about, he says not only the propitiation for our sins, but the sins of the whole world. That's a really good verse. I was gonna put that on the license plate just because I love that idea. So 1 John 1, 9, almost, almost collapsed there. 1 John 1, 9 is this. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. And then the rest of that, I think a lot of us forget the rest of that, and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Woo, yes. I, when I read verse seven, that's what I think about. Because here's what I know. I sin. And I have confidence that if I confess my sins, he forgives me of my sins. But I have confidence he's gonna do that because of this verse, he's gonna do it according to his grace, and his grace is never ending. Do you see how wonderful, man, you read this, and, and I, I think all of us, man, we need to go, yes. And then we gotta get back to the fact that he did it with his blood. We need to understand that. Now, when I think of this verse, 1 Peter, 1 Peter 1, 18 through 20, listen to this. Peter's a good one too. You know what, for homework, like read 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, and 1st and 2nd Peter, and, and kind of get into this. Read Jude while you're at it. You know, it's just like all of those. They're little short books, so you could do it. But listen to what Peter says. And when you think about Peter and everything that Peter went through, sorry. Okay, so listen. Knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, but 
with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. He indeed was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you. We were redeemed, not, listen, not with perishable things, but with the precious blood of Jesus. And he says, hey, we have that. And then, and then on in verse eight, he made, it gets, just gets better, right? Which he made to abound this, this riches of his grace, which he made to abound toward us in all wisdom and prudence. Now, here's what I think is interesting. I believe it might be according to all, in all wisdom and, and, and insight, you might say. But what, what, I th- what I think is, I think he made all of that abound toward us in all of his wisdom and insight. Other people interpret this and they say, he made all wisdom and insight abound to us. I'm not sure I kind of like that because I don't always function in great wisdom. Like I think I function a whole bunch more in not wisdom than in wisdom. And I'm thinking, well, if he made it abound to me, I'm like not tapping in and maybe that's my problem. But here's what I believe. I believe God according to all of his wisdom, all of his prudence, all of his insight, whatever you want to do, say to that, that he made his grace abound to me. And it's his wisdom that does it. See, I'm counting on, I'm counting on God to get me to heaven. I desperately need God. I'm not thinking I'm, uh, you know, I'm not one of those guys who thinks, I got it. I got it made. I'm doing really good. I look, at, I look in the mirror some mornings. <laughs> well, most mornings I look in the mirror. But I look in the mirror and I think, Lord, you take such big risks. Why? Why? First of all, why would you even save me? Why would you do that? Wouldn't most of us really testify that we weren't really looking for God when we got saved? I think of the process in my life and I, I think of what he did in my life and, and how he changed me. And, you know, I was, I, was, as I was studying today and looking at this stuff and thinking about all of this. I was thinking of the time I sat on a, on a, on a, a, a stairway I was building in a house. I was remodeling a house in Bisbee and we were working on the stairs going up to the loft and, and I'm sitting on the stairway with a friend of mine that was helping me and people around us, I think I've told you this before, a lot of people around us were getting saved and I remember him and I having a conversation and we're going, man, what is going on? It was like freaking us out because all of a sudden all these people are getting saved. They were not supposed to. And they were turning, and listen, they weren't just people saying I'm saved. They were turning into Jesus freaks. And we're going, this is weird. And I remember telling him this, that'll never happen in my life. I remember saying this, for me to get saved, Jesus would have to come and sit on these steps right next to me for that to happen. Now, I would like to tell you, miraculously, the Lord appeared and all of these things. That's not true. (laughs) That didn't happen. And then even later on in life, when, when I'm at a street fair, we just talked about that and someone's witnessing to me and I rejected. I think of how hard I rejected God and, and, and in a sense pushed him away. And he didn't give up on me. 
And I read this stuff and I go, yes, this is why. This is why he was going to redeem me. And by his blood, he's going to bring forgiveness according to the riches of his grace. He's going he's to make all of that abound toward me according to his wisdom and his insight. And then, check this out, verse 9. Having made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times, he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both together in, or I'm sorry, both which are in heaven and uh, which are on earth in him. Here's what he's letting us know. God has a plan. Hallelujah, huh? Especially in times like this. God has a plan. God is working his plan. And he's letting us know God is not, listen, God doesn't look at, you know, June 2020 and going, my word, what happened to the world? He knows exactly what's going on. He's got a plan. He's got it together. And I read this, listen, I read this, and here's what I, I know, that God made known to us a mystery. Remember, in the Bible, a mystery, biblically speaking, is not something you have to solve and something you have to figure out. It's not something you have to get a decoder ring and, and, and what exactly was happening. Mystery in the Bible means this. It's something that you cannot know unless it is revealed to you by God. And here's what he lets us know. God revealed the mystery to us and it was according to his good pleasure which he purposed in himself. You need to know something. Everything you get from God is because of his good pleasure, not because you're a good person, not because you're awesome, not even because you deserve it. It's because his good pleasure. I kind of like thinking about that. I like thinking about his God is working in my life. He looks down and he goes, that's my boy. And it's his good pleasure. He goes, listen, I'm accomplishing what I want to accomplish. And in his good pleasure, then he says this whole mystery that he's revealing to us, it's in the fullness of time. I, I like the word in, in verse 10, the dispensation of the fullness of time. Some people get all freaked out with these words. Here's what he's saying. God is working his plan. And he let us know that in the time that we live in, and it is the fullness of time, according again to Galatians, that God sent his only son, that all of this was hidden to the prophets in the Old Testament. We've gone through the prophets, we've looked at them. Remember, they would see things, but they weren't sure when it was gonna happen, and they weren't even sure what it meant. As they would see things, they were, it, didn't, it didn't all come together for them. But for us, God made it known to us, and then, and then listen, you know what he's gonna do someday? He's gonna bring it all together. Everything is going to come together when God decides it's going to come together. When people get a little freaked out like we're gonna ruin this planet, which I think we should take care of this planet. I'm not a, I'm not a person that said, eh, you know, God made it, we should trash it and move on. I mean, I don't do that with my house. I don't do that with my vehicles. I don't do that with my office. I take care of things that I have and I think we should take care of this planet, right? Someone nod, yeah. Yeah, we should. God gave this place to us, right, to hang out in. So we shouldn't trash it and leave it for the next generation. Sorry, you get the trash. So I believe in that, but here's what I also believe. We're not going to blow this place up. 
we're not going to ruin this place. We're not going to greenhouse gas it to death. And, you know, everything's going to collapse. And the polar, you know, the polar ice caps are all going to melt. We're all going to flood and do that. It's not going to happen. I read the book of Revelation. I know how it ends. And here's what he says. God is going to bring everything together in Christ. The things on earth and the things in heaven. What does he mean? A couple different things I think he means. Number one, I think he means all of those who are left on earth who believe in him and all of those who are in heaven, we're all gonna get together. We're all gonna be united in Christ someday. I think all of the believers who have gone before us and us included when we get raptured, notice the wind there. Hey, I believe we're all gonna come together in Christ and be one big family. And I even believe this. I think even the angels are gonna be hanging out. I think the angels are gonna be looking at us like, seriously? How did you get to heaven? And we're gonna say, it was him, the lamb. But listen, man, he says it's all gonna come together. So I, really, I think nine and 10 aren't real complex like some people uh, kind of pretend because he uses a couple big words and different things. I think it's really simple. God is working his plan and God is gonna bring all things together in Christ in his timing just how he wants it. And here's the thing. He's made that known to us. We should walk in that. Have you noticed how much of Ephesians that we don't walk in, right? We don't, we don't walk in the idea that we've been blessed with every spiritual blessing. We walk around like this, and we're all mad about things. Come on, that's not who you are. We don't walk around like he's chosen us to be holy and blameless. Man, that should like kick you up a notch about as far as holiness, right? That should make you want to be a person who, man, you are going to be like super holy, not because you're going to be, a, you know, a self-righteous person, but because it's who you are. How many of us walk around like we've been redeemed for the forgiveness of our sins and we've been set free from the slavery of sin? <laughs> That's a big one, right? Because a lot of us fall right back into it. How many of us believe that God is really in control and he's gonna end everything and, and bring it all to him? Listen, I, I believe what Paul did is verse seven, he kind of transitioned a little bit and he brought in you know, the things that are true now and then nine and 10, he's talking a little bit about the future and then, and then listen, in verse 11, look at what he says. In him, we, in him also we have obtained an inheritance. I just like to stop there, man. Do you know you've obtained an inheritance? We talked about it in Galatians, right? We're part of the firstborn. The firstborn gets the big stuff. We get that inheritance. That's who we are because we're in Christ. So listen, he says, in him also we have obtained, and, and some of your translations might say that a little bit weird, especially the NIV. If you're reading the NIV, just pretend that it says this. Because this is, listen, in him we have also obtained an inheritance being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will that we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. Once again, man, we have been predestined. Don't let that word freak you out. Predestination is not the same as fatalism. Fatalism is it's gonna happen, there's nothing involved, and, and, and you know, you just, gotta, you just gotta accept it. Predestination is God working in our world 
And God does not work in a vacuum, and God works through us. Listen, we're gonna look in just a minute. There's our responsibility, we talk about it all the time. God is sovereign, we have a responsibility. How do the two come together? I don't know. But you know what, I really don't care. I know there's two truths. And here's what I do know, for millenniums, the church is fought over, split over, hated over, trying to figure this out. We're not gonna figure it out. Here's what I absolutely know. I'm not the, I'm not the wise, great theologian that there are out there. And if those guys can't figure it out, I know I'm not gonna figure it out, so here's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna live with it too, but here's what I do know. I've been predestined, predestined, listen to this, according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. Either that's true or not. And if I start living in that and I start understanding, I've been predestined according to him who works his will and he works everything according to his good pleasure. Woo, right? It's a good thing. And then, and then Paul says this, that we who first trusted in Christ should be the praise of his glory. Now, here's an interesting thing. Is Paul here saying we as in Jewish believers or is he saying we as the church? Great question. The answer is, I don't know. I think, I think he's kind of talking about Jewish believers, and I'll, I'll tell you why in a moment. I think he's, listen, I think he's kind of talking about, remember, the first, very first church was Jews who converted to Christianity, right? So we, we kind of have that understanding. Then the Gentiles come in. I'll tell you why I, I believe that. Now, listen, I'm not gonna be dogmatic and argue over it. Well, I might argue over it, but I'm not gonna be real dogmatic. But listen, he says, he says that we who first trusted in Christ should be the, the praise of his glory. Listen, men, we're all about bringing God glory. So that's verse 12. Verse 13 says, in him you also trust. Isn't it interesting? It was we... Now it's you, and who's he writing to? The church at Ephesus. What's the church of Ephesus made up of? Gentiles, right? Hey, here's what the great thing about Ephesus, or, or Ephesus, the letter uh, uh, Ephesians. Here's the great truth about it. He's talking about some racial conflict going on within the church and within the world, especially from a Jewish mindset. Remember, Jews of that generation thought there was Jews and everybody else. And they thought everybody else was simply made as cordwood to fuel the fires of hell, and, and that's how they felt about people. So, you know, you can say they were racial or whatever, it doesn't matter, I don't care. But listen to what Paul's saying. We, right, he predestined us so that we, what did he say in verse uh, 12? So that we, who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. And then he says, in him you trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of the promise. Now here's what I, here's what I, I think he's talking to the Gentiles, and I think he's talking about, again, man's responsibility. How do we get saved? Well, we get saved because we were chosen before the foundations of the world. But how did that, how did that act out in my own personal life? 
I got saved in, in, in September of 1983 laying in my bed when I called on the name of the Lord to be saved. Yes, I, I didn't do an altar call. I didn't go forward in a church. I've never raised my hand in a church. I got saved in my bed. And some people go, are you sure you're saved? I'm pretty sure. But it was my responsibility to believe. And here's what he's saying. Not only did you believe, but you believed the gospel, right? You believed the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation in whom you also, listen, you believed in that, you trusted in that, and then here's what I love, man, and then you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. I am a firm believer in the security of the believer. Why? I was sealed. Do you understand again? In their culture, their generation, that's who's writing this. It's good to go back and understand that. When they use that word sealed, it was like, boom, man, it's done. Generally, it was hot wax put on something, and they would use the, the, the king or whoever, his signet ring, and poke on it. Remember Daniel? Remember when Daniel was put in a lion's den? Remember what the king did? They put the rock over it, and then what happened? They sealed it, and the only one who could open it was the king, right? And we were sealed. Listen, we've been sealed with the promise of the Holy Spirit. I love that idea. Here's what, here's, when I believed, God sealed me with the promise. He gave me his Holy Spirit. That's why I got up the next morning and started reading the Bible. I read the Bible before that and I didn't care. I get up the next morning, I'm going, wow, where did this book come from? Why? Because the Holy Spirit's in me and we were sealed with the Holy Spirit. That is a wonderful truth. I love that idea. Why? Because here's the thing. My getting to heaven doesn't depend on me. It depends on the blood of Jesus Christ. And maybe even greater than that, I think it depends a whole bunch on the Holy Spirit. I am one that I think when the Holy Spirit like came in this guy, he went, wow, there is so much to do. So little time. He's got work to do. But listen, I was given the Holy Spirit as a seal, as a sign. Some, some say even you could even, even use the analogy of an engagement ring, and we have that. But then listen, it goes, it goes a little bit further. Verse 14, oh, here's the engagement ring, not that. Who is the guarantee of our inheritance? Now, I want, to, I want us to notice something back about what I was saying. 13, right? Verse 13, we were saying, I'm sorry, verse 12, we were saying maybe he's talking about Jews. Verse 13, He's talking about Gentiles, but notice who he's talking about in verse 14, who is the guarantee of our inheritance. Do you see what, here's what I love about this thought. 12 is dealing with Jewish believers. 13 is dealing with Gentile believers. 14 is dealing with the church brought together. You see, Jesus, we're all one in Christ, I don't care what flavor we are. I don't care, you know, you can, you can argue all the things. I don't care what skin color. I don't care what ethnic background. I don't care about any of that. What I care about is we're all one in Christ, P. 
period. And that's what Paul is gonna keep harping to these guys. And if I'm right, if 12 is talking about Jews, 13 is talking about Gentiles, then 14 is all of us. It's our, he uses that, that our, we're, we're together. And listen to this, how good it is. Who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory? Now we go back, all the way back to verse seven. He purchased us, right? And he purchased us, but he gave us the Holy Spirit as that down payment, so to speak, as that guarantee, as that authority. Sometimes when you get a loan and you're not very dependable, you got to get somebody to guarantee it, right? A guarantor. That's the Holy Spirit. Here's, here's the thing, man. When, I think when I mess up, I'm sure, I'm sure Satan's in heaven going, I told you, I told you not to pick him. I told you about him. And, and Jesus is going, but I died for him. And here's the Holy Spirit going, and I'll bring him in. Don't worry about it. I'll get him there. Because he's a guarantee, right? He's going to get us there. And we have that promise. No, who are we? Listen, how could you not get excited about your salvation if you read these 14 verses? You gotta go away from Ephesians going, I don't even care about the rest of the book. Here's what I know. Here's who I am in Christ. Woo, let's go. And here's what I think it's doing to the guys in, in Ephesians, in Ephesus. The world is growing dimmer and dimmer and dimmer because of the glory of God in their life is getting brighter and brighter and brighter. You see, here's what I know. When I begin believing what God says about me and I begin walking in that, man, I begin looking at the world going, you poor, poor, poor world. I have Jesus. I'm going to heaven. And when I get to heaven, man, he's gonna bring everything together. And we're gonna be there forever and ever and ever and ever. Hallelujah. And people go, how do you know you're going to heaven? Because he bought me. How do you know he's gonna keep you? Because he kind of guarantees it. First of all, he stamped me. Hey, we may all not have the mark. Some of us, some of us have ink and we mark ourselves up, but we, we all may not have a mark, but he stamped us. We're stamped. And then, and then the clincher is, well, you see, he gave me this person called the Holy Spirit in my life. He's gonna make sure I make it. Whoo, yes, that's what the opening of Ephesians. So we finally, listen, this is all, this is all, here's what I love, man. Paul got together or sat down or whatever we want to say to write this letter and he started pouring this stuff out in verse three and he ends in verse 14 and here's what I'm thinking, man. I think by the time he gets to this and we're his purchased possession to the praise of his glory, I don't think he's just going, okay, take this dictation. We're, you know, we're his possession to the praise of his glory. Puff, puff. I think Paul's going, dude, do you know who we are? We're his possession to the praise of his glory. Woo! Don't you think Paul did that? I think he's a little Pentecostal. I think he got with it a little bit. 
I think he's like thinking about all of this stuff. And here's what I think it all started when he said, you have been blessed with every spiritual blessing. And then it just started. And all of this stuff came flowing out of him. And all he was going to write was a short introduction. I think he was going to say, hey, guys, do you know who you are in Christ? Here's who you are in Christ. You know, and you have every spiritual blessing. Now let's move on and talk about some things that we need to talk about. But all of this other stuff came flowing out of him because all of it is those blessings. And when you and I begin to believe that and walk in that, we're gonna see the world entirely different. And we're, you know what, we're not gonna get, we're not gonna, the world's gonna grow dim to us. And we're gonna say, you know what? Do whatever you have to do with this world. I got Jesus. And I'm gonna grab as many people as I can and drag them into Christianity. I think that should be our heart. Now, don't physically do that. Don't like beat people into Jesus. You can't do that. But you know what? I think if we truly live who we are, we'll make people jealous for God. And they'll want to know our God. Let's stand up and pray. Father, as I think about this section, and Lord, I think some of it we could go on and on and on and on and on about. It's so glorious and, and, and so deep. But yet at the same time, God, I think it's just in some ways simple truths we have to believe. And when we begin to believe them and appropriate them in our own lives, then we can go to the depth of all of the understanding and what they mean. But God, I pray for us tonight. I pray for myself. I pray for all of my brothers and sisters standing here. I pray for everyone at home watching online that God, you would so make this so real to us and that we would be able to glorify you with what we do, with what we say. God, that we would be men and women who really believe that we were chosen to be holy and blameless. That God, that we were predestined to be in you, to be in the beloved. That we're part of this whole plan that you're working. And God, that we would begin to walk in that. And we would listen to you and our hearts would line up with your hearts. Our footsteps would line up with your footsteps. Our words would line up with your words. And that, Lord, we would be those world changers that you created and redeemed us to be. So God, be glorified in us. And I'm gonna ask you to just stay in an attitude of prayer a couple more minutes. And if you're here tonight and you're not saved, man, you need to get saved after that. After hearing all of this, if you can stay unsaved, you are a strong individual. But listen carefully, man, if you, want, if you came tonight and you do not know Jesus or if you're watching online, maybe mom or dad made you watch or, or however it happened, you're watching, you're an unbeliever, to, right now is the time of salvation for you. Right in this moment, call on the name of the Lord and you will be saved. And we've kind of looked at, hey, what does that mean? That means you've been redeemed. You've been bought by the blood of Jesus because your sins have brought you the wages of death, of separation from God. Jesus took your place. We discussed that. Now, listen, call on his name. Let him know that tonight you want to know him.
So I'm going to lead you in a prayer, and you can say this prayer at home. Uh, those of you here, you can say this prayer out loud. You can say it silently. If you've backslidden, and through this time, turmoil that we're having in our world, that all of a sudden you came back to church because you thought it was a kind of a, a good, safe place to be. It is safe unless you're an unbeliever and then you're gonna get blasted, but that's a good thing because we're gonna bring you to Jesus. But listen, if you're here and you don't know him, say this prayer. You can say it out loud, you can say it silently. Jesus, tonight, I confess to you that I am a sinner. God, I'm sorry that I sinned against you. And right now, I'm asking you to forgive me. Thank you, Jesus, for your forgiveness. Thank you so much for dying for me. And now I want you to come into my heart and I want you to change me. Jesus, would you come into my life and would you guide me? Tonight I'm asking you to be my Lord and my Savior. If you said that prayer and you meant it sincerely, I'm gonna ask you to lift up your hand so we can celebrate with you and, and uh, encourage you, pray for you tonight. If you're home and uh, in, in that situation and and you want to do this, man, raise your hand or poke somebody next to you. Tell them you want, to, you want to make this real in your life. But call on his name. Anyone in here? Jesus, we thank you again. God, for who we are in you. Thank you for the truths that we read in your word. May we go out into that world and flesh these things out, live them, and honor you with the lives we have. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.